In a world where research scientists out at sea are hot as fuck. All right, look, I'm not going to beat up on the Meg. I know that's what you're all thinking. I know that's what you all want me to do, but I'm not doing it because uh, I dug it, man. It's, you know, the Meg is what it is. We're coming in real hot. The Meg is what it is. But before I get talking about the Meg, I just want to say uh, thank you guys for um, being patient since uh, the last episode we did. I really appreciate it. It's good to be back in the fold. If you listen to the Science Fiction Film Podcast, you know that co-host Matthew Anderson was in town for a week, and I was in Florida the week before that. So it's been a crazy two weeks. So appreciate you lovely, real quick listeners uh, sitting tight and waiting for me. That's really cool. Um, I have a bit of a cold, so my voice sounds sexier or more annoying, depending on where you're sitting, than normal. I say sexier because it's a little deeper. But uh, that's not my real voice. My real voice is not that deep right now. It's just the fact that I'm battling back a cold, got a little bit sick, probably from the plane ride, my first in 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a big thing. I had to get over it, and I did, and I lived, and uh, I'm happy that I went. So I plan to go out. I plan to go more. I plan to do some more flying, I suppose. But enough about all that. Let's dive into the topic of this week's real quick discussion. Excuse me. <clears throat> so we're talking the Meg. Why? Why? Dude, I got to be honest with you guys. The preview kind of sold me. Now, don't go into this expecting to watch Jaws. Go into this expecting to watch a really silly movie that is enjoyable in a very popcorn action way. I think too often, especially for me, I don't want to speak for anybody else. I think too often for myself is I go into these movies and I put the podcasting hat on and I start to ask myself, oh, what's the most, and I do that thing, right? I'm asking myself all the big questions about the story and the characters and the development, the realism and the plot points and the beats. And is it all going to shake out in the end? Are the, are the characters going on a journey? What's our focus here? Is the, is the beginning and middle end going to work it out? And look, that stuff is important to me. But I also think sometimes it's fun just to sit down and watch a pretty generic and fun action movie. Now, I got to say, right out of the gate with the Meg... It is about two hours long, I believe. I think I have it on the background now. Uh, Yeah, just under two hours. And, I mean, there's a million people in it. You know, Tony Basil, Rain Wilson, of course, Jason Statham, Robert Taylor, Ruby Rose. uh, I mean, a bunch of people. Winston Chow, Bing Bing Lee. By the way, Bing Bing Lee is 45. Dude, I thought she was 30. There's hope for us yet. Anyway, um... Yeah, she looked right for age, so congrats to her. Keep doing what you're doing there, bing, bing. But um, listen, The Meg is, I expected, you know, with a film like Crank, the, the ludicrous nature of charging your own heart, I thought, okay, a Megalodon, it's going to be kind of ludicrous. But the movie makes a, a little bit of an attempt to ground it in some sort of, like, here's how it conceivably could have happened that a Megalodon species could have survived involving the bottom of Mariana's Trench and how it's not a bottom and how it's this uh, cloud that you break through and then you get to a deeper part of the water and that cloud is what kept the Megalodon down into the deep, deep depths of the ocean so it couldn't 
commingle amongst the species that we'd had already discovered. And it's about going deeper than we've ever gone before, uh, way, way down to the bottom of the ocean. Now, first of all, ocean stuff to me is just intriguing, which is strange because I'm not super intrigued by Aquaman, but I think my intrigue of the ocean is squashed by my general negative attitude towards superhero films, which is my problem, I admit it, but I just am kind of like, ugh. But but my point is that I like ocean shit for some reason. I don't know what it is. Anytime we're dealing with the water, anytime we're going underwater, I'm interested. It can be anything from Master and Commander to Crimson Tide to Jaws to Perfect Storm to something as corny as the Meg. And uh, there, it's an instant attraction to me. Uh, I like that people are out of their element. They're a lot more fragile underwater, and uh, I dig it. I like it. There's an isolation element to it. If you listen to our X-Files podcast, you'll note that isolation is a big thing that I love. Uh, Episodes in that show like Ice, where they're stranded, or a film like The Shining. Uh, Anything where you're stranded and you're at the mercy of the elements is something I can really get behind. So the Meg is that. Despite their technology, despite their money, despite the fact that they have a big rig, despite that they have these really cool pieces of equipment that can go underwater, these little one-man submersibles, submarines, uh, variations on that craft, etc., just cool vessels. It's just neat. But listen, you, you go into the Meg with a big old box of popcorn, right? Yeah, just a big box of popcorn. And I think what attracted me to this movie outside of the aforementioned things is the freaking preview did not make any pretense about being a serious monster film. It was marketed like Lake Placid was, another awesome movie to watch, a funny, hilarious movie. I think Lake Placid is probably better than The Meg, truth be told. However, I do think The Meg has got some, I don't want to say, innocent charm to it because it knows it's kind of ridiculous and it plays it as such. Now, that's not to say it's as ridiculous as something like Sharknado, okay? There's not tornadoes with sharks in it. This just happens to be a giant shark. This is a monster movie at sea, okay? It is a monster movie at sea. By the way, can Asians get a break when it comes to monsters? Giant monsters are always terrorizing those poor people. In this particular film, it's Chinese people. <laughs> I guess traditionally it would be Japanese people with things like Godzilla. But good Lord... Giant monsters lay off the Asians a little bit. I, you know, like, Jesus, Louisus, you guys are ruthless. But my point about this whole intro here is that it is fun, okay? It's fun. Get your popcorn, get your drink, get your feetsies up, right? Rent it, get some friends over, have some drinks, and just enjoy it. it, it it's not, I mean, it's not going to blow your hair back. The more I talk about films... The more I podcast about films, the more I start to realize that there are just general classifications of movies. And I know it sounds kind of shitty to say, but I almost feel like it is the reality. Uh, Look, we watch films, I watch films, to be entertained, first and foremost. If I'm entertained by a movie, then I have considered that movie experience a success. Now, 
How does one gauge, are you entertained? Are you entertained? How does one gauge that, right? I guess it depends. And I think that really has to do with your perspective going in. If I went went in to watch The Meg with a perspective like I was going in watching The Shining, surely I would be disappointed. However, if I went in with a perspective to see Meg, that went something like this. Ooh, I'm going to see a ridiculous movie with Jason Statham, by the way, about a giant prehistoric shark based on a preview that's outrageous and expect anything other than that, then I'm kind of setting myself up for failure. And you will be too. But if you watch the preview and you go, ah, fuck it, goofy shark movie in the ocean, let's do it, you'll enjoy it, I think. So that's uh, that's what I'm getting at here. But the setup is Jason Statham, he's a rescue guy. He In the early part of the movie, we get that classic conflict of he he has to escape he has to rescue X amount of people and leave X amount behind or lose all people. So you can rescue some, none, or, or, or uh, yeah, that's it. You can rescue some or you can all die is what it came down to, right? So you have to leave some people behind. So he has that weighing on his conscience. It creates this really fake-ass conflict with another character um, that's working with this research team. But overall, you have pretty generic character archetypes. Rain Wilson plays the eccentric billionaire who runs this whole thing, and uh, he prances around like a kind of a goofy Steve Jobs, uh, checking in on how everything's going at uh, this uh, big rig where they're doing this research. The research doesn't really matter. The, the, the opening is just simply Jason Statham is not part of this. He rescues some people, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, this research team goes down to the water and they get stranded. So they call in the only guy who's ever made a rescue attempt that deep, which of course is Jason Statham. So Jason Statham shows up because he's the only guy to ever make a rescue that deep. He goes down there to rescue these people that are stranded in a craft. In the craft is his ex-wife, of course, right? Because this is how movies are. And, um, and then it's just about how he gets wrapped up with these researchers and the Megalodon discovery, and how they have to interact with and deal with the Megalodon and all of the characters. And they're all really beautiful people, and they all have really great skin. And that's that's kind of a Hollywood 101, right? Uh, I mean, no offense to Ruby Rose, but Ruby Rose doesn't look like a scientist to me, right? Doesn't, doesn't look like a scientist at all. And uh, neither do any, neither does anyone else in this movie, to be perfectly frank. But listen, there's, look, there's stuff to like in this movie. There's things I want to talk about specifically in this movie. I want to talk about, <laughs> the, the, the first thing is one of my main issues in the movies is really fake uh, rivalry that Heller, this doctor guy named Heller, has with Statham's character, who's, of course, Jonas Taylor. My name is Jonas Taylor. I'll kick you right in your face. That's Statham, right? And, uh, and, and Heller is one of the guys that Jason Statham rescues in the uh, first 10 minutes of the film. And he's mad because Statham left the other guys behind versus being grateful that he saved his fucking life, which is what anyone else would have been in that situation, especially given the information that they now have. But the movie needs kind of a fake conflict, so they make up this conflict, right? So that's that. 
the rest of the stuff is pretty standard fare. Um, you, you have a love interest. You have an ex-wife who's not a love interest because she gets wounded early in the movie and is kind of out of it most of the movie. Uh, Jason Statham's chasing around a Chinese girl. I didn't have many Chinese girls where I grew up, so I happen to find him quite fanciful, if you know what I mean. A bit of a commodity where I come from. And I'll kick anyone in the face who says differently. That's Jason Statham to me. And basically, that's what's going on here. He's, uh, he gets wrapped up with this girl and this kid, and it's cute, you know? I mean, whatever. So, a couple things. The premise is rescue people lost at sea. So, they fly in Statham, and he gets involved with this crew. And I got to tell you, a couple of things I liked about this movie. Number one, I like the perspective of the people being rescued we get. A lot of times with these submarine underwater movies where people are being rescued, especially in a sub-movie, it's just, oh no, we have to close the bilge bay door and let all those seamen die while we save the rest of the ship because that's unfortunately what we have to do to keep the sub from sinking. Uh, but in this, we get to see the perspective of the people trapped in the craft as Statham moves in to rescue them. So we get to see their banter, learn a little bit about them, and it's nice, you know? I mean, that's that's kind of cool. I like that. I like that we get the perspective of those people being rescued and get a little bit of character information on them. Depth would be, and I mean, pardon the pun as we're talking about underwater films, but to say that the characters have depth would be a bit of an overstatement. I'm not going to go that far. Listen, it's the Meg. It's about a megalodon. It's about a giant shark with a British dude who does kicks, okay? So the characters are not three-dimensional. They're not deep. That's, that's just going to be the way it goes. But that's okay. That's okay, right? Um, a lot of this movie reminds me of sequences from The Phantom Menace when they're on Naboo, just fucking shooting around in these little submarine underwater vessels, uh, chasing sharks around and things. But there's a, there's a couple of funny moments in this movie. So there's a couple. Number one, there's this, there's this moment where they, they, they realize that they're dealing with a megalodon. And uh, there's this great reverence for the megalodon. <laughs> Meanwhile, one of the guys that they were trying to rescue here, that Satan was brought in to try to rescue, uh, is doesn't make it. He's uh, a selfish, a selfless man, and uh, he he knows that they can't get out in time because the megalodon's honing in on the lights of the rescue craft. And when they're docked, they have like a they go door to door dry dock to try to. Uh, have them climb out of the sub and into the working sub, but the uh, the rescue sub's lights are attracting the megalodon, and the selfless man, the selfless man, uh, shuts the door so they can get away in time before the megalodon strikes and, of course, kills him. So that's a setup for a scene where all these guys are talking about the megalodon in great reverence, and there's this huge party, and this guy's just like, this thing ain't my friend. Right, it's really funny. They're all sitting around talking about how massive and powerful this thing is, and they're looking at these uh, computer mock-ups, these renderings of this monster. And of course, uh, this guy's like, "Listen, can we stop revering this killing machine that a my friend like twenty minutes ago? Can we do that, please?" Uh, and that's uh, pretty pretty hilarious. But I would say, for me, I would say the standout. There's a really there's you know it's. There's a couple of cool moments where there's a giant squid and it's crushing the craft and that's pretty tense. But I think one of the standout scenes for me is when they have to actually take to a boat, get away from the rig 
and they have decided that they're going to do a uh, uh, a shark cage. So the character played by Bing Bing Lee is named Suyin. So Suyin is going to get into this shark cage, which have, is made of some sort of transparent material. I don't know what it is. They say it in the movie, but I don't recall what it was. They actually said it was. Let me pop on the subtitles just in case it comes up while I'm watching the very scene we're discussing. And... It's actually kind of cinematic. It's really cool. They lock her in the cage. She has this gun on her. This gun has this meta poison where it's, uh, they're going to poison the megalodon. And uh, to attract it, they're lowering her down into the depths of the ocean. So, man, imagine putting yourself in a shark cage knowing that a prehistoric shark is coming to get you. By the way, a prehistoric shark that is gigantic, that bites humpback whales in half. I mean, it's huge. But... Jax, of course, Ruby Rose, insists that this cage will not fold, that it will not break. There's no way in hell it's going to break. Um, So that's the setup. They're going to get her down there with this harpoon gun. There's a little hole in the thing. She's going to fire that thing, poison the shark, and that's going to be that. So this is about the midway point of the movie. And I just like the way this scene is done cinematically. It's her going down into the water in this transparent steel cage of sorts. Again, it's not steel. And we just see these guys tossing chum over the side of the boat. And it looks awesome because as she's lowering down into the water, you see floating red chum debris trailing down like little streamers trailing down through the water next to her as she descends into the depths. And then, of course, immediately it starts to attract six, seven, eight foot sharks, hammerhead sharks. I don't know if they're Makos or tiger sharks. I don't know what they are. But a bunch of sharks are circling her, and it's just this oh shit moment. But standard fare here, right? Eight foot shark. Okay, yeah, that could definitely kill you if you're not in the cage. But she's in the cage. She's feeling pretty. She's feeling pretty confident. And then all the sharks scatter, and we get this real far shot of her and how tiny she looks in this cage. And then we see in the field of view the head of the megalodon as it just is right there at the cage. And it comes up from the bottom and just rap. It hits the cage. And I got to tell you, that's something the movie does for great effect. The moments where, I could imagine seeing this in the theater, what it, what it would have looked like. And of course it's CG and blah, blah, blah. But there are these moments where the shark's head is just covering the entire screen. And whatever it's looking at is, it's like the backdrop for whatever it's looking at. So it fills the screen in the background and the foreground is the subject of the shot, whatever it happens to be. And it's like shark face wallpaper because that's how huge it is. And uh, it's kind of cool. You know, you get a real sense of scale. The movie does a great job of giving you a sense of scale. There's a lot of top-down shots. You would call it almost like a drone shot. Looking down on the ship that's in the ocean, and under the ship through the clear blue water, you just see this massive shadow of this monster (laughs) swimming underneath. And it looks cool, man. I, I really dug that. I thought that was kind of neat. And a bunch of just different things like this. It's It's visually, listen... This is one of those things where you make a movie called The Meg. You know it's going to be a giant blockbuster type of film. Summer action, I guess you'd say, about a shark terrorizing people, a prehistoric giant shark. And of course, you're going to have to get the money part of this right, which means the money part. What I mean by that is the the special effects. You know the movie's going to look correct. It's going to look good for a big-budget summer blockbuster they're not going to screw this up. Plus, it's a newer movie, so visually speaking, it's going to have to look massive. 
uh, as the shark is largely CG, I think entirely CG, of course there are going to be moments where the uncanny valley is just not crossable because of our wonderful eyes that have evolved for many, many years to see fake things, to, to, to spot predators in the bushes. Uh, we, are, we can discern CG still pretty easily. So yeah, you can still tell it's not exactly a real animal. But it, they do a good job. One of the nice things about setting a monster movie in the water is the fact that you can hide it in the water. You can, the water, anything in the water is going to look weird anyway. So you have that as an advantage. But this chum scene gets real bananas. And one of the things this movie does well is that when the shark gets a hold of some sort of line, a bait line, a line for the cage, and it's just pulling it, you can feel the immense strength or just mass, the sheer mass of the beast and the power that it generates just from its size alone. And, um, you know, it wrecks the ship and the way it pulls things and you just get a sense for how powerful it is. And it's, and it's something I thought about because, you know, a lot of these Jason Statham movies, especially these recent ones are, are kind of outrageous. He does outrageously insane things and you wonder, and you just think about how crazily unrealistic it is. But I thought to myself while watching this movie, for the most part, I thought, okay, if we just go ahead and accept the premise that the Megalodon is real, well, cool, the Megalodon is real. That's awesome. So the Megalodon being real is the paradigm we're working in. That means that we're going to follow rules pretty much from here. And they kind of do. They kind of do. Just a few times it gets a little goofy because Jason Statham is, you know, getting pulled by this thing and he gets flipped around and thrown around. And, he, and it's, it's very, it's very over-the-top action whenever he's directly tangling with the Megalodon, which obviously he can't just directly tangle with a Megalodon because it's a giant prehistoric killing machine. Um, he's more or less just trying to escape it or get around it or sneak by it or whatever. Those those scenes kind of make sense. It's when he's engaging with it physically that it gets a little outrageous. In, in fact, completely fucking ridiculous, if I'm being honest. So there is that. There is that heroic element of the Jason Statham character and what it's going to mean and all that crap. So, you, you know, there's, there's a scene where the shark is being held by a cable and it's chomping and chomping at him. I mean, meters away, three meters, four meters tops. And it, it, you just think there's no way that shark couldn't get a little closer with all that power. There's just no way. What are you going to do? Um, but that whole scene is pretty wild. But I- I'm not going to tell you how the movie ends, but I will tell you that there's more than one Megalodon. And uh, it is a completely and utterly bananas scene, which involves a boat being capsized, characters start dying, and the stakes start going up a little bit. I'm like, yeah, awesome. We're fucking losing some characters. That's great. And uh, I think probably the standout scene for me is the chum scene. I just thought it was kind of neat, though the going down into the chum. Um, there's probably more fantastical scenes, but I just like the tension of being lowered in that cage and hoping that this machine that kills things with its face <laughs> does not destroy your precious cage and eat your lovely Chinese woman. Which brings me to the Chinese people in this movie. Um, so both Winston Xiao and Bing Bing Li are both Chinese. I know Winston Chow was born in Thailand, but he has Chinese parents. Bing Bing Lee is Chinese. Um, why am I talking about the Chinese people in this movie? Well, these two in particular, um, the reason I want to talk about them is because 
they actually do some real acting in this picture. I got to hand it to them. Hats off to Bing Bing Lee. Hats off to Winston Chow for really doing actual acting in the Meg. I thought that was awesome. Um, and again, I'm still astounded by this woman's age. Uh, it's funny. Her father in real life, her father, Winston Chow, the actor's only 13 years older than her, but it's her father in this. <laughs> That's how good she looks. <laughs> That's hilarious. But um, they actually do some real acting uh, surrounding a character's death, surrounding, you know, regrets in life and him talking to her about how he raised her. They sell it. There's some real tears there, some real feelings. And listen, for a summer blockbuster called The Meg about a giant shark, I just want to say hats off to these two individuals for really putting some good acting on the line. And and look, Rain Wilson, too, he's pretty one-note cheesy guy, but there is a moment where he has... Uh, uh, he has a moment himself and I thought it was good. I was like, man, you go rain Wilson getting some tears going. I thought it was a good job. And, uh, just overall now you're not going to go watch the Meg because you're looking to scrutinize the performances and you're going to start talking about awards and shit or memorable performances in three years. You're not going to think about the performances in the film, the Meg, right? You're just not going to, cause it's going to be the next movie that outdoes this movie with all the things this movie's doing well, which is popcorn action shit, which is exactly like Lake Placid's been replaced by the Meg kind of not, not really. Cause I know Lake Placid is kind of becoming a cult classic, but who knows the Meg may as well. I don't know. I still think Lake Placid edges it out as far as humor goes because the Meg definitely takes itself a little more seriously than Lake Placid. So it doesn't have the same comedic beats, but while you're watching it, you know you're just watching a a, a hip action movie. The Meg is almost like a toned-down Jurassic Park sequel. There it is. The Meg is a toned-down Jurassic Park sequel. It'll never be Jurassic Park, of course. Let's not get crazy. Now, the sequels, as they started to increasingly uh, creep into ludicrousness, each one would creep a little further into ludicrousness. <laughs> you would almost say the Meg is a toned-down version of a Jurassic Park sequel because it's still ramped up a little. It's still ramped up a little, but it's not quite as bananas as it could have been, all things considered. Did my mind start wandering a little bit? Yeah, it does. Towards the end, I'm like, all right, let's go. Come on, let's wrap it up. Wrap it up. But um, I I would find myself kind of entertained the whole time. I think a lot of it has to do with um, just looking at pretty pictures and pretty people, right? (laughs) I got to be honest. I I think I am probably just falling for the Hollywood aesthetic at this point, which is it's blue. It's the ocean. You guys know how I feel about the ocean. It has pretty people. It's got pretty cool action. It's got a giant shark. Everybody likes sharks. Sharks are hip right now, I guess. And um, and that's and then Jason Statham with his fucking accent. That's right. That's how I talk the whole time. He talks like that. He's so rugged. He's so tough. But um, some some comedic moments for sure. But um, yeah, man. There's 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 some acting out of out of the aforementioned uh, two Chinese actors. I thought they were great. Of course, Bing Bing Lee and Winston Chow. Uh, with the rest of the cast kind of playing second fiddle to their acting chops. Um, You know, you have uh, Paige Kennedy. He has some funny moments. Like I said, Rain Wilson, Ruby Rose, Cliff Curtis as Mac. If you watch Fear the Walking Dead, you know Cliff Curtis. Robert Taylor plays Heller. And Olaf or Darry Olafsson plays a man named The Wall. Seems probably like he's a little too big to be rated for one of those little subs. But what the fuck do I know? Rain Wilson hired him, so who knows. 
But uh, yeah, man, pretty much, pretty much ridiculous action fair. Pretty much what you'd expect out of the Meg. But I like it, man. On the scale, hate it, didn't like it, like it, loved it. I, I like it. I like it enough to watch it. And uh, if if enough people want to sit around and watch it again, I'd probably watch it again for sure. Because uh, there's just something fun about it. And, and, and that's just the way it goes. It's not trying to be Jaws. It's not trying to tell some crazy tale. It's not a Jaws knockoff. It's just a monster movie. It's a monster movie like any other monster movie that came before it. Any, any King Kong, any fucking Mothman, whatever. Any Tyrannosaurus Rex running around eating people. Um, it is. It's just a monster movie. It's not. It's not Jurassic Park. I mean, it's not even Godzilla. But it is its own little cute summer movie that's uh, worth a rental if you got enough people and you want to watch something fucking totally stupid. Could you probably pick ten other movies instead of it to watch? Yeah, sure. But hey, like I said, I got pulled in by the blue, the sun, the boats, and the pretty people, and then of course the giant shark. That did it for me, guys. I call it a solid like. There you go. I'm not afraid of it. Now, I am going to uh, wrap this up. That's uh, that's kind of all I really wanted to say about uh, The Meg. So I hope you guys appreciated my coverage on that. I had a good time talking to you guys about it. And uh, what we're going to be doing next is Tom Cruise. We're going Mission Impossible Fallout. I like Mission Impossible, guys. I dig it. I like Mission Impossible movies. Um, the first one is still the best one to me. Uh, I'm sure I haven't seen all of them, although maybe I have. I don't know if this is the fifth or sixth one. I feel like I missed one in there. But um, this, I, I'll tell you, the preview on this worked on me too. So look, we're going to fire up Tom Cruise. We're going to do Mission Impossible. I like the dude. Uh, I know that uh, there's a couple other people in it. Henry Cavill, of course, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Sean Harris, Angela Bassett, Michelle Monaghan, who I'm in love with, Vanessa Kirby, Frederick Schmidt, Alec friggin' Baldwin, of course, directed by Chris McQuarrie. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. It's a little bit long. It's two and a half hours, but I am going to rent it. It'll be available to rent on December 4th, uh, which should be about the time I'm coming back to the Real Quick Podcast. So what do I expect out of Mission Impossible? To be perfectly frank, I expect a damn good action movie because it's getting great friggin' reviews. So I fully expect a really good action movie to come out of Mission Impossible. I don't think it's going to change my life or anything, but I have high hopes for it. You know, the Meg's got a 40 rating or something on Rotten Tomatoes, which it probably deserves. But um, look, it's enjoyable. But Mission Impossible... Now, that's that's a quality action cinema, and that's exactly what I expect. So I, I will be honest. I have high expectations going into this. I almost feel like Mission Impossible started strong and then had a lull and got strong again. I might be off on that, but that's what I feel. Uh, like I said, I'd have to go back and rewatch them, but that's my feelings. And uh, that said, I've heard good things about it, so I do have high expectations for Mission Impossible Follow. But uh, why don't we watch the trailer for this movie right now? There cannot be peace without first a great suffering. The greater the suffering, the greater the peace. The end you've always feared is coming. It's coming. And the blood will be on your hands. I prayed to God that it wasn't true. 
Solomon Lane escaped in Paris. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. You use a scalpel. I prefer a hammer. This is a bad idea. Is it ever a good one? Honestly. He's not just some observer. He's an assassin. I don't trust anybody outside of this room. You go rogue, he's been authorized to hunt you down and kill you. That's the job. No hard feelings. Which way, Benji? Turn left! Go, 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 go! What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! Oh, sorry. Good luck. When the clock stops, Ethan Hunt will lose everyone he ever cared about. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. Ethan, that's not who we are. Maybe we need to reconsider that. You've lost this one once done is done. What's done is done when we say it's done. Showtime. Oh my god. Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready for some Mission Impossible Fallout. And you know, Sean Harris is the bad guy, I guess. Sean Harris plays the character named, what is it here? Solomon Lane, I guess they said. Solomon Lane. Sean Harris. Guys, I got to tell you, I like this guy. Even though he was in Prometheus, which was kind of goofy, he was in that TV show. uh, Was it the Borges? I want to say it was the Borges because he played a character named Micheletto. Come on, guys, help me out. Is it the Borges? I'm trying to remember. The Borges, yeah, he plays a guy named Micheletto, uh, a badass, like, assassin guy in a really cool show that I remember digging. So I've always had a, I've always had an intrigue. I was always intrigued by Sean Harris after The Borges, and I hope he, uh, I hope he lives up to the hype. He's done a lot of work between now and then. Um, he's been in quite a few movies. 71, he was in TV show Jamaica Inn, The, uh, the Goo, Macbeth, Serena, uh, Rogue Nation, Oh, he was in Rogue Nation. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to watch Rogue Nation first, guys. Ah! Holy shit. Uh, maybe I'll be watching two Mission Impossible movies. But um, what are we going to do? Let me look at the calendar here. So this becomes available to rent on Tuesday the 4th, right? Available for rent Tuesday the 4th. Because I ain't buying this shit. So let's go ahead and say I will have this out to you guys by Thursday the 6th. Um, I'll probably get it out Tuesday the 4th, but I'm going to give myself a buffer on Thursday the 6th. So expect some action from me talking Mission Impossible Fallout uh, next week. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm happy to be back at it, keeping the solo shop, keeping the solo shop open, keeping the chop sharp, and of course, uh, regaling you with my kind of nasally, and now that I'm really hearing it in the headphones, annoying voice. Sorry about that this week, guys. All right, I'm out of here. You guys have a great day, and I'll catch you guys on the flip side.
vivid memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to libertystreetgeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.